0: You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that have to do with our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we're gonna be discussing sexuality according to the Bible, and specifically, the idea of sex and the role that it plays in marriage. And so... Uh, if you've struggled with the biblical sexual ethic, the idea that sex is something that is reserved for the marriage relationship only, this would be a good podcast for you to listen to. It connects directly to Jesus and everything that he has done for us. Welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome in to Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I have with me today Stacey Donardo, who's our Executive Director of Staff and Development. Zach Wyrock, who is our executive director uh, or executive pastor of vision and strategy, and then Jamie Hewitt, who leads our student and college ministry. First of all, first question Jamie, first time on the podcast, uh, sitting in a seat that Joe Coffey normally sits in. How do you feel about that? Totally comfortable. (laughs) Wow. Totally comfortable. All right, that is bold, but you know what, Jamie.
1: Well done, is Jamie. He's a bold guy.
0: So uh, the, the topic today is the biblical teaching about sex outside of marriage, which uh, is something that in our society is pretty unfamiliar, the idea that sex is something that's supposed to be reserved for only marriage. And so uh, we want to talk about what the Bible has to say about this, and then how can, we, uh, how can we live out this kind of an ethic and talk to people in our culture who hold very, very different views about this. Uh, and even share Jesus with them when this can be an obstacle to them even wanting to come to faith in Jesus in the first place. So first, let's start with, uh, you know, I would make no assumption that even people within the church are necessarily in agreement with the idea idea that sex is reserved only for marriage. So starting there, how, how do we find that in Scripture? How do we, you know, come to that and arrive at that view as Christians?
2: Yeah, well there are multiple places in the Bible that you can appeal to to make a case that biblically speaking sex should only be within marriage. I mean the the first and most obvious is that when God creates Adam and Eve and creates sex, he creates it in the context of marriage. So you get in Genesis when it's going to say therefore a man shall leave his family and a woman shall leave her family and you know they're going to they're going to become one. You have this idea of formality. There's a leaving and a cleaving. You have this idea of of commitment even Adam will sing a song over Eve you know and i think most biblical scholars would say there's a covenantal mm-hmm. element in that so you've got that then then you've got the numerous times throughout the old testament story that sex outside of that context shows up yeah. and it is always presented negatively either explicitly or implicitly the the consequence of that becomes something negative and then you get the new testament i mean you have jesus in matthew 5 saying Hey, I've not come to right. do away with the Old Testament. Everything that's in there, you know, I affirm. Uh, but then you've also got numerous times in the epistles that uh, fornication, uh, which is the sin of having sex outside of marriage, uh, is listed among um, other sins that are unacceptable to God. So, you know, you said earlier, Jimmy, that uh, there might not be agreement in the church. I think I would say that you know, the old adage you get, you know, two people in a room, there's something they don't agree on. That's true. But historically speaking, mm-hmm. there has yeah. never been disagreement over the idea that, biblically speaking, sex is within the context of marriage. That there's no, not a mainstream, historic, orthodox teaching out there that would say, actually, no, you know. Yeah, and just
0: to be clear, I'm not saying that the church necessarily holds that view. Yeah. Only that there are a yeah. lot of Christians in, from in the church that yeah. that cultural, right. Right. you know, view has crept into yeah. their. I think view it might be right to say
2: that there are people in the church who. Just bring with them the cultural view. I don't know if they have like a conscious moment where they say, I know what the Bible says, I don't care. It's almost like there's an assumption. I mean, sex has become uh, the opposite in our culture, the opposite of what the Bible says. So therefore, the idea that the Bible would place any limitations on sexual expression is so foreign to, I think, a lot of young Christians. I think if you sat them down and you said, what does the Bible teach about sex? They they would probably say, I don't know. And they just bring with them But here are the things that, you know, I believe or I have learned from culture at large. But there is no confusion over what the Bible teaches.
1: Well, and what has—I guess I'd ask the question, too—what has happened culturally? And is it just something that is talked about so much more, glorified so much more right now? Or uh, has it changed? Has the view of sex changed for those that are not Christians super significantly? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I don't think there was ever a time. It's a good question. I don't think there was ever a time historically that sexual sin was uh less pervasive than mm-hmm. it is now. That's I mean, what even I was in the story of the Bible, there are numerous right. instances. I mean, you know, you get Genesis three, Adam and Eve eat from the tree, and then a few verses later in Genesis four, you've already got Lamech, who's married two wives, right? I mean, it's like it's instant, it's sudden. In Genesis alone, there are numerous right. instances of sexual sin. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that sexual sin has always been around. It will always be around. I, I think, like a lot of things in culture, it can take different forms or different expressions based on a lot of factors, but I don't know that the thinking of, like, we are more sexually sinful today right. mm-hmm. than we've ever been, I don't I don't know that that's true. It You know, I think the internet and, and you know, personal yeah. autonomy, yeah. and I decide for myself, and, you know, I think those things are true in our culture, but sexual sin is has always been, will always be a reality.
3: Yeah, I think that there might be a sense that an idea that any expression of love is a good expression, and therefore there should be no restraint, mm-hmm. and ultimately a pushback against the idea that really God would not want to restrain something like that in any way, shape, or form, so why not just be free to express that?
2: Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's the, the big idea. idea. Like when I was thinking about on the drive over here, recorded that really behind every biblical ethic is is the question of Genesis 3, can God be trusted, right? right? I mean, yeah. that right. that really is what it comes yeah. down to. I it's think the point problem point. is when we think about biblical sexual ethic, we tend to think, okay, what does the Bible say I can do and can't do, and what's right and what's wrong, versus saying there's actually an idea under that, and that is in Genesis 2, God makes a paradise for Adam and Eve, which includes sexual expression. It includes it in such a pure form that they're naked and without shame, right? right? Just a beautiful... Expression, in Genesis 3, the snake shows up and says, uh, you are not in paradise, you are in prison. Right. God has imprisoned you. And remember that he says, because God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing right and wrong, knowing good from evil. And in Genesis 3, what happens, Paul will say in Romans 1, is we exchange the creator for the created. Mm -hmm. We elevate ourselves, and as a result then, we begin to decide what's good and what's not good. So I think you're right, Jamie. What's really at stake here is the biblical sexual ethic says that God wants us to be sexually fulfilled, and to flourish sexually, but he knows how to get there. Right. And I think the world says, only you know how to get there for yourself. And that is the crux of the issue, Yeah, trusting yeah. God or trusting yourself.
0: Yeah. How would you connect this issue uh, specifically to the gospel? So, you know, I think especially when it comes to sexuality, you know, you you think back to like purity culture and all. Yeah, it can become a very uh, rules based. Do this, don't do that. Kind of like a, you know. And then even we've done a podcast on purity culture before, but the idea that <clears throat> you know once a person has broken their whatever, like it, it is a like they, it's hard to get back from that, and and that's been really damaging to some people. And I think one of the things that, especially when it comes to something where we it's so close to our hearts, it's something that we are culturally it's it's so important to us i feel like if we can figure out how does this directly connect to jesus mm-hmm. that might be a way forward in how we think about it as christians because uh whether you're married or not married sex outside of marriage is a temptation sure so how do we connect it to the gospel
1: i was i was just thinking about in how jesus interacted with those with the woman caught in adultery and the love and compassion um, and drawing her in that he did even in that moment, so I think it's it's apparent and clear that again, um the love of Jesus for you and his pursuit of those, regardless of if they have had sex outside of marriage or not, stays the same, is there, and is true, and grace is extended to that, and I think that's so important too, because um, as I was driving over here, I was thinking about, man, I think so many uh people can be riddled with even guilt and with shame because of sins and because of sex that they've had outside of marriage. And while, yeah, that's because there are ramifications, there is that one flesh nature of sex that is broken when it's outside the confines of marriage. But yet again, there is so much grace that God still extends to us through His Son, Jesus.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one challenge that you're hinting at is that... um... Sexual righteousness is not the entry point into Christianity or into heaven or into being loved by God. And that goes both ways, because I think we can sometimes elevate sexual sin, Mm -hmm. right? It's the worst sin. it, It is worse than any other sin. But we can also, in this speaks to purity culture, we can also elevate sexual righteousness. It's the best righteousness. So I think the message a lot of times to like teenagers or college students is, we don't really care what you're doing as long as you're not having sex. Like, if you're not having sex, you are righteous, no matter what else. And I I think it's neither of those things, actually. The gospel would say sexual sin is not any more or less damaging than any other kind of sin left Unchecked, it will destroy your life in the way that any sin will, but sexual righteousness also will not commend you to God, that that God doesn't love anyone on the basis of their sexual history. He he loves Mm -hmm. us on the basis of Christ, so for sure. But I think the gospel also says that a God who loves me so much he would give his own son for me can be trusted to speak into my, my sex life. And again, I think that is, especially if you're... Teenager, if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this and you're trying to form not not just your sexual ethic, but like what you think about the Bible, what you think about Christianity, what you think about... I just want to encourage you to say that what's at stake here is not who you sleep with. That 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 is a symptom of a larger... What's at stake here is can you trust God? Is he for yeah. you? Does he love you? Is he out to ruin you? Or is he out to lead you to flourishing? I mean, I think that is the crux of the issue... If you say God is out to ruin you, and and that is what you're saying, if you don't listen to him on sex, you're saying, no, 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 listening to you will not make me happy, you are out to ruin me, then that has ramifications for how you think about God in general, how you think about his love for you. But if he's out to cause you to flourish, that's what you believe, that he loves you, well, then it follows that whatever he might say is born out of that love. And I think the gospel would say, he who did not spare his own son can be trusted to speak into the area of sex.
3: I think that there's also, uh, at the heart of that, it may be a disconnect of understanding how sex was given as a gift in order to display God's relationship and love for his people. And when you don't see that, it becomes really challenging to even entertain a conversation. So, Jimmy, your question was, how do we connect it back to the gospel? I think at the heart of that is understanding that at the foundation, sex is... One of the clearest pictures that God has given Mm -hmm. us, that we would know his love for us and his covenant commitment to us, his faithfulness, his steadfastness. And so, you know, when you, if somebody were coming to you and saying, well, I don't understand this, why would this be withheld in some sense? It's understanding and beginning to have a conversation. Well, God wants us to know that this intimacy is also protected by an unbreakable commitment. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that that's what it was meant to represent is God's unbreakable commitment to us in some way, shape, or form, that we could see that in marriage and through sex. And therefore, for us to, you know, to enter into that without the commitment of marriage uh, is to, you know, in, in one sense, we are missing reflecting the gift that sex was meant to be, and we're also opening up the door to pain that comes from uh, un. Uh, committed intimacy, intimacy that doesn't have the safety net of a forever relationship behind it.
2: Yeah, I think you're saying two massive things there. I mean, one is that at its most fundamental, we're saying is sex is not about you. Yes. It's It's about about the glory of God. And that is, you know, it's interesting, the so-called culture war, I feel like always happens on the wrong issues, you know? So we're talking about sexual orientation or gender identity or all these other things, when I actually think the real place where we need to be having a conversation is, if there is a God who made us, there are implications to that. And and, and so what we're saying is, if God gave us sex, right. then, then it, He is the one who establishes what it's for, the right way to enjoy it, the right that that sex is about the glory of God. So you have Paul saying in First Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do for the glory of God. And he picks those like minimal things, eating and drinking. How much more so than whoever you sleep with, sleep to the glory of God. And and it's this idea that I am not who I say that I am. I am not who my appetites say that I am. I am not who my sexual history says that I am. I am who God says I am. That's a right He has won in us by sending Jesus and delivering us. So I think that's the first thing. But the second thing is that sex is linked, not just to the glory of God, but to the very nature of God. So Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. Then he tells them, be fruitful multiply. Mm -hmm. So you have a God who's three and yet one, and in marriage you have a husband and wife who are two and yet one. So it's bound up in even what we are saying about the nature of God. So that as we have a life where we might have 10, 12, 15, 3, 30, whatever sexual partners, we are actually saying something about God that that is not true and, and not right. And and again it goes back to that idea that that God is at the center of sex. That is sex is primarily doxological or or an an element of worship. It is not fundamentally biological or fundamental, fundamentally psychological or anthropological. It is about about God. That's, that's a massive shift from yeah. our culture. Yeah, you do not determine your appropriate sexual expression. God does, uh, and and I think that that's where we're all going to struggle because, like Adam and Eve in Genesis three, we want autonomy, right. but right. but that is you know that is. Uh, At the core of the basic idea, and I think that's what people need to wrestle with,
0: yeah. So, uh, one question I wanted to ask because uh, as a church, we want to interact with people who don't know Jesus and we see them come to faith in Him. I know, Jamie, you I'm sure you run into this issue all the time working with students and college students, and so my question would be, uh, if you're talking to somebody who's not yet a Christian and one of their objections to placing faith in Jesus is this sexual ethic. How would you navigate that conversation with them? What kind of things would you say? What would you point them to?
3: Yeah, I'd want to try and move the conversation towards understanding the why behind it that would be for our greatest good, in some sense. Uh, I think that most of the misunderstanding and the pushback often comes against the idea that this is just a "no" because I said so um, from God. And while that is true, I mean that the primary reason that we yeah, it would should be we enough. should it obey, would be yeah, absolutely. Uh, but especially as somebody who it is not yet said, I I do trust God. Mm-hmm. I think you'd want to enter into that conversation of helping them see. Yes, it's for God's glory but also it's for our good and for our greatest blessing. And so even understanding and talking to somebody about the connection between you know, intimacy and commitment and how those two things are related to one another and how they protect and shape one another, I think that has yeah. been helpful in conversations I've had yeah. in the past.
2: Yeah, it's good. I, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things that are very similar to what uh, Jamie is saying. I mean, I think one times, sometimes uh, we ask really hard questions of Christianity, mm-hmm. we should, but we don't ask the same questions of our own worldview or of the culture. So I think what I would start with is well, well let me ask, you, how good do you actually think our culture is at, at sex? Right? So I can give you a couple of examples of this. So the idea that you know what makes you happy sexually, what's important is that you're happy, right? Okay, no one really believes that. So, you know, when a wife goes home, it doesn't have to be a Christian wife. When she goes home and she discovers her husband is looking at pornography right she does not say to him well if that's what makes you happy if that's what you know she says what are you doing this is she's limiting his happiness because she understands we exist in in a in a kind of relational economy right. and your yeah. happiness cannot bring about my insecurity and my you know my uh, self-loathing and whatever so this is not okay you know lots of young people listening to this have struggled through Growing up in a family in which mom and dad are divorced, maybe possibly because mom or dad decided they wanted to sleep with someone else. Do you look back on that and go, well, whatever makes dad happy, whatever makes mom happier? Do you say, wait right. a minute, your sexual happiness, so-called, destroyed our, merit, mm-hmm. your, our family and maybe even my life, right? So you would say there's an example where you'd say, actually, the exploration or pursuit of one person's sexual happiness actually led to the destruction of people. And here's the point. I think that the modern sexual ethic is anything is okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. The problem with that is it presupposes sovereignty. It presupposes that we know the ripple effect of our actions. So I've said this before, but when you're looking at pornography, for example, you don't know if the minute the camera went off, those people weren't put in a cage, weren't strung out on drugs, that they hadn't been kidnapped and trafficked, and you know those things happen, you know those things are inextricably linked to pornography, but you don't know if it was that pornography. Well, the truth is you don't care, right? So you cannot say, my looking at pornography doesn't hurt anybody. Your own parents' history, you know, their sexual pursuits hurt you. So it's not true that even if you said... Sex that hurt, it, it, all sex is okay except for what hurts people. Even if I buy that, yeah. I would yeah. have to say what's necessary, necessary say for that, that to be true. true is someone who can see the ripple effects of all actions and stand back and go, this expression of sex will not hurt anyone, and the only person who could ever do that is God. And that's the point. God, who is sovereign, wants us to be sexually healthy and sexually happy in a way that doesn't hurt anyone. He just knows how to get there. But, but I'll, I'll add this. the current sexual ethic is, I know what makes me happy. So what you get in a sexual relationship of any kind is, is two people who show up to the sexual act saying, I'm here to make myself happy, right? Person A, I'm here to make myself happy. Person B, I'm here to make myself happy. So you get two selfish people looking out for themselves, okay? That is inevitably not going to go well. The biblical sexual ethic is actually, I'm here for the glory of God and for your good. So you get person A saying, I'm here for you person B saying, I'm here for you, you get two people, nobody's selfish, and everybody's looked out for and everybody's taken care of. So there's no way you're going to argue to me the first one is more beautiful or more Mm -hmm. picturesque than the second one. I understand we're sinners, we don't always get the full expression, but my thing would be, ask some tough questions of our culture and its view of sex, and is it actually working? Have you actually experienced that it's working? I I think if we're all honest, the answer will be no. no.
3: And most people asking that question or pushing back against it who have any personal experience in this world almost invariably will have some hurt and pain yep. associated exactly. with it. Yeah. And so I think as you enter into that conversation you know, with humility and a desire to listen, there's even an opportunity of asking the question, what well, do you think that that, what you experienced, is that the way that you think it right. was designed to be? Is that the way it's supposed to be? Yeah. Might there be something you know better Actually, what we would say is the way that God designed it to be is is the way that it it ought to be and is better.
2: Yeah. And I think I would just say two things, uh, maybe in way of conclusion. The first one would be, that's why this conversation is a shameless plug for sharing Jesus, if you haven't taken that class yet, but... This is why this conversation is actually a worldview conversation, not a proof text conversation. It's not about turning to a verse where Paul wrote, fornicators will never see the kingdom of God, okay? That's true, that's true, but that is not going to change anyone's heart or mind. Instead, having a conversation about what is broken in this world sexually, and what is actually the hope of how we're going to put it back together, the gospel has better answers for that than anyone else. I'm confident of that. So, but then the second thing, and Jimmy, I've heard you say this, is if you wanna, if you're listening, you're not a Christian, if you want to consider the truth and value of Christianity, start with Jesus, yep. don't start with sex. That's what I was thinking too. Right. Yeah, start with Jesus. Jesus, don't start with sex. So if Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived in your place and died in your place and rose from the dead, then whatever he says about sex, you should be with him. Right? You should go with him. If he isn't that then who cares what he said about sex. So I understand the Bible says some hard things about sex. Um, But I'll just say this, and I think this is a good challenge. All of us know that the absolute last person we ought to listen to about sex is ourselves. Because all of us have stories where we have made a mess of our own lives sexually, which means we need to find someone who knows more than we do about this very important topic. And that someone is not only available to you, but has proven he loves you so much he sent his own son to die for you. He knows. He knows. He loves you, and you can trust him. Start there, and only then would I worry about what he says, about six.
0: You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.